Well, hey there, everyone. Good evening on a very hot, sultry summer night. At least it's hot here where we are. Joe, is it hot back where you are in California? Yes, it is. Jerry, is it hot where you are in Colorado? No, it's 71 degrees. Don't say say anything. (laughs) And Mark just came from Pueblo, Colorado, where it was what? It was 109 uh, just north of Pueblo yesterday. It's 105 here today. Wow, that hot. is hot. hot. That's hot. Well, hey, it's summer. It's the middle of summer. What do you expect, right? Mm-hmm. Well, dear friends, kind friends and neighbors, we're here to bring you God being our helper. Yet another edition of OBW Talks, the podcast. And I just found out it's podcast, not podcast. No, it's podcast of Old Baptist Weekly. Which I feel compelled or constrained by the love of Christ to remind everyone. OBWCL happens every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock on the Facebook page of the Primitive Baptist Heritage Corporation Facebook site. So we welcome you to tonight. We are continuing our study of Galatians. Yes, we are. We, uh, We took a whack. I think we took a very spiritual whack. At Galatians 2, 15 and 16. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of meat left on the bones. I, I guess we always do that, guys. I mean, we always end up doing that. So tonight, I think we're just going to go sequentially. I don't think we should jump to the fourth chapter, then back to the second chapter. Let's just go verse by verse. Is that okay with you guys? Verse by verse. Okay, good. Uh, what we're going to do, Galatians 2, 17. 18 and 19. And then uh, the following week, we'll close out the second chapter with Galatians 2, 20 and 21. So tonight, we're going to look at those three verses. Joe will read them for us in just a moment. When he does his dead level best to level set us, I love to say that. And if any of you who are watching see uh, something missing or something there where something else usually is. You see a little uh, gray circle with a white telephone handset in the middle of it. And then you see a series of numbers down there. Well, this is our 2 Corinthians 5 version of Jerry Anstey. To be absent from the body (laughs) is to be present with the OBW. (laughs) Oh, that's great, Mike. That's great. He's a disembodied oh, voice. You can hear him oh. chuckling even now. He sounds just like he always did. I guess we will sound like ourselves in heaven. No, that doesn't prove that at all. But here's the thing. Jerry is just as much with us now as he ever has been with us when we can see his his, you know, his face. I had a word for it, but I just left <laughs> his mug. And Jerry is is uh, going to you can hear him. And Jerry will be just as much involved as always. And so we have the full peanut gallery. Anybody know where we got the phrase peanut gallery? I can tell you. We got it from the Howdy Doody Show. Now, Brother Joe may be the only one who would know this, but Buffalo Bob, who was the kind of the MC of the show, there was a section when they would go to what he called the peanut gallery. But really, it did come from the theater in the cheap seats where you could only afford peanuts. That's where that phrase got started. And when, they, when the show was really bad, you'd take the peanuts out and 
throw them at the uh, vaudevillian. Just a little bit of information. We we are a full service podcast. <laughs> oh my okay, goodness. now we got to get serious, don't we? Got to get spiritual. I'm there. I don't know about the other three, but I'm there. And <laughs> all, like all kidding there. aside, we we uh, do ask for your prayers. This is a very uh, important section of scripture. It's a very it can be a really hard one to make sense of if certainly if you don't get off on it on the right foot. And we 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 it remains to be seen that we will mm. do that ourselves. So we need God's help and we need your prayers. And may the may anything that be said that's right be know the glory go to God. May it help you in your studies. So we're gonna look to the Lord in prayer and we're gonna ask Brother Mark Rao to lead us in order of prayer at this moment. Okay. Feel bow. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity again to spend time in Thy Word. Heavenly Father, we trust that that will guide each of us as we go through these verses, that you would enlighten us and direct us in the ways that we should go. We're thankful, Heavenly Father, for the time spent with our uh, kindred. But Heavenly Father, we're especially grateful and prayerful that what all that we do is to thy praise, honor, and glory, and that it would edify uh, thy people and give each of us the strength that we need in this world today. Uh, forgive us of all of our many sins. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank yeah. you, Brother Mark. Now, Brother Joe, do that what you do so well. Thank you much. In our discussion of Galatians to this point, you have noticed, no doubt, that we've devoted a significant amount of time to a unique term Paul uses, and, and that term is not by any means limited to his Galatian letter. You'll find it frequently in Romans and maybe some of his other writings. The faith of Jesus Christ. You've heard two threads developed in our discussion. One, identifying the faithfulness of Jesus. This is a common use of the term in the New Testament. For example, in Romans 3.3, 3, Paul is discussing the historical advantage of the Jews, even though now, because they rejected Christ, they are under judgment rather than blessing. Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect. My Allen King James Bible, which is uh, from the actual printing plates or, or media from the old Oxford King James edition, actually footnotes the word faith, and the footnoted reference is faithfulness. The faithfulness of God is not negated by the unbelief of Amen. God's people. That's right. Paul will make the same point when he writes to Timothy. If we believe not, yet he is faithful, he cannot deny himself. Right. So the faithfulness of Jesus in his covenant agreement for the salvation of the elect, of his people, he faithfully fulfilled, bringing the absolute guarantee that all of those whom he chose in eternity past shall be touched by grace, covered by the, the, the 
saving, cleansing effects of his death, and finally brought to eternal glory at the second coming in body, soul, and spirit. If he were not faithful in that assignment, he would not be the candidate for our faithful faith in him. One stands very clearly on the other. This is quite common. Uh, the word salvation is used many times in the Bible in clearly very different ways that are often glossed over by casual readers and modern teachers. Of all people, R.C. Sproul, when he was alive and, and teaching on the radio, brought out more than once the fact that when you see the word saved in Scripture, you should ask two questions, saved from what, saved to what, and let the context of each appearance of the word answer that question. That sounds like primitive Baptist faith. It's my faith right. and the faith of the people I've known as primitive Baptist all of my life. To, to point out the obvious, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, writes to Timothy, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Mm -hmm. Eternal glory is secured for all of the elect by the faithfulness of Jesus. Right. But Paul said, I'm involved in helping them come to a also salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. And there is, is that temporal blessing that equates to the faith of Abraham, which Paul makes one of his centerpiece arguments in the book of Galatians, and the, the whole blessing of Abraham through Jesus that comes to all children of God who embrace Jesus and live by the faith of Christ. The second thread you've heard is the godly and, and full example, the faith of Jesus in his incarnation is a clear and worthy example for our faith and our faithfulness. You can't have biblical faith without conduct. Amen. That's why James raises the question, not in conflict with Paul, but in an affirmation of Paul's teaching that faith without works is dead. You can say, I have faith with no works, but James says it doesn't work that way. So we have both threads. They are not contradictory threads like the two terms for salvation or the two applications, temporal and eternal, time and eternal salvation, as we think of them in the broadest of perspectives. The same applies to the faith of Christ. I want to focus as I, I let's go ahead and read the, the three verses. We'll cover as much as we can tonight. Uh, think, Joe, Galatians chapter 2, verse 17, 18, and 19. Mm -hmm. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. 
For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I want to focus primarily in my level set on verse 17. But if while we seek to be justified by faith, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin, God forbid. My focus is on that first term, seek to be justified by Christ. This is not a salvation passage. It is a discipleship or temporal salvation passage. Paul says, if we seek, Paul, Barnabas, Peter, other Jewish believers, and the Gentile believers in the Galatian churches are seeking to be justified by Christ. Hey, these people are already saved in terms of new birth and eternal salvation. Seeking to be justified by Christ is not about that salvation. It's something subsequent. I will make the case that primarily in New Testament terminology, justification by faith, in whatever term it appears, does, as this verse defines, refer to born-again, saved people living their life by the measure of the faith of Christ. It's temporal. It's not eternal or salvific. Examples. In Galatians 3, verse 24, Paul says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The word schoolmaster, which Paul says was the function of the law, is translated from the Greek word pedagogue, which becomes our English word pedagogue, a trainer of children. Mm -hmm. The pedagogue in Jewish and Roman culture of the first century was often a slave assigned more for discipline than academic training of of the young boy from age six, around six years of age to around 16. Take note, he was not to make children. He was assigned to a child six years of age. Paul says the law was our schoolmaster. And if we learned the lesson, the discipline of the law, it would take us to Christ, not to Moses, not to circumcision, not to the rituals of Old Testament worship. It would bring us to Christ and the end objective that we might be justified by faith. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If justification by faith were intended in Scripture to be a salvific, eternal salvation intent, Paul should have written, therefore, being justified by faith, we have life Hmm. with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said peace. Peace belongs to the family of God those children of God who walk by faith that brings them into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There are many other passages that, that make the point. I want one more. Hebrews 12, verse 2. After all of those examples of faith from the Old Testament, Paul says, now let us lay aside the weights that encumber and the, the sins that beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. One of my favorite New Testament Greek dictionaries, and uh, one that is recognized and respected in, in Christian scholastic circles, Lao and Nida, defines the word translated author as one who causes something to begin. If you have faith in the biblical sense of faith, you didn't fabricate it, you didn't begin it, you didn't choose to have it, it was caused by Jesus. That's what the word means. And finisher, by the same authority, is one who makes possible the successful completion of something. Jesus caused your faith. He is the sustainer and object of it if you keep it healthy and focused where it belongs, and he shall finish your faith with ultimate and absolute fulfillment when we are raised from the dead and see him body, soul, and spirit in glory, as Paul concludes in 1 Thessalonians, and so shall we ever be mm. with the Lord. Mm. So Paul raises this interesting question we are seeking to be justified, and yet we're found sinners. Hmm. Does that sound familiar with you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, does that mean Jesus is the cause or the minister of our sin? No. Paul says, God forbid. And then in the very next verse, he uses himself as an example. If I build again the things which I destroyed, what did he destroy before Damascus Road? He destroyed Christians and churches. Now he's building Christians and churches. Hmm. Does that make God the minister of sin or the cause? No, he says, I make myself the, transgress the transgressor. So with, with those thoughts, brethren, I think I've, I've opened about three different directions. You choose the one you want to <laughs> three? Just three? Oh, my uh, well, goodness. Well, maybe a few more. <laughs> oh, wow. boy. Well, I, I <laughs> fell for the trap because I, I talking before we got online. I said, I'll follow Joe this time. Just man, why did oh. I have to open my mouth, man? That's why I, I like for Brother Mark, Brother Jerry to follow us because I can bide my time. but. <laughs> Uh, I do. I want to first of all say thank you, Joe. As always, you do <laughs> to say you do a fantastic job is an understatement, but you do, and we thank you for it. Uh, so let's think about for just a minute, um, what Paul may be getting at in his uh introduction to his theme, which I think is what 215 through 221 is all about. It's the theme that will be enlarged upon in the third and fourth chapters, especially. So with an introduction, we're, we're not given everything that we need to prove what I think Paul will prove later, but we're given the essence of what right. it is. Right. 
And I can tell you from what I've been able to glean, Brother Joe was right on base. There's two emphasis. One is um, to, to look at what the problem was. That's, that'll show you one emphasis and the solution. And then to understand that the one solution is tied to the really the more important solution to what, by what means are we saved eternally. See, there's eternal salvation, as Brother Joe brought out. There's salvation in time for those who are eternally saved. And Second Timothy uh, two eight, if I got the right verse, is perfectly it perfectly brings out that difference. Okay, so the problem in a nutshell is Peter, by his action, his hypocrisy, his hypocrisy, his deception, made a statement. Whether or not he intended for it to be that statement, we don't know. But he made the statement, and it's on him. The, the blame goes to him. And that is, he basically told the Gentile believers that you're not good enough as is to fellowship with me. You've got to become like us Jews, do these things that we've been doing, do the law. In other words, do these works of the law for you to be able to have fellowship with us. Now, that's a temporal issue. That's, that's, that's a church issue. Um, we're not talking about eternal salvation at that point. We're talking about in the church, you have two different classes of people, and the one class is saying to the other class, you're not worthy yeah. to worship with us because you're not, you're sinners, you're idolaters. You came from paganism. You eat bad food. You eat food pro prepared incorrectly. We, we are very serious about our cleanliness laws and our dietary laws. And you would just really messes up. Well, that, that is all very well and good, except Peter. You went down to Cornelius' house some time ago after seeing a vision of the sheet let down, and God said, Rise, Peter, slay and eat. And on that sheet were all manners of beasts, clean and unclean, according to Jewish law. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. Nothing unclean has ever passed through my lips. And what did the voice say? What I have cleansed, call not thou uncommon. That happened three times. It took three times for Peter to get the point. And at the end of the third one, there's a knock on the door. And it's some uh, it's people from a man named Cornelius who is a Gentile and to the Jewish eyes, an uncircumcised Gentile. Don't focus on the physical thing that happens with it's, it's what they thought of as, as Gentiles. To be uncircumcised meant you were lower than a human. I mean, that's how it was looked upon at that time anyway. So what does Peter do? He does what no Jew would do. He goes down willingly, voluntarily to Caesarea, which is the most Gentile city in all of Judea. He goes into a Gentile's house, which a Jew never would do. And more than that, he eats with them. Yes, he ate with them. Just for those things alone, the church of Jerusalem could have uh, thought they had grounds to exclude Peter. Peter was worried that he would be excluded. And I say this, Peter did something smart. He took some brethren with him to, to witness what happened because it was, it was irrefutable that the Spirit of God came down upon Cornelius and his household as Peter preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. I tell you what, that, that more than anything else proved to Peter 
that the door of faith had been opened to the Gentiles, that Cornelius needed not to become like us. He's fine the way he is. What, so the bottom line is, what Jesus Christ did on the cross by dying for our sins on the cross not only saved us eternally, but it made what used to be untenable, tenable. What, what used to be unclean, clean. It made Gentiles worthy of belonging to the same church as Jews. Sadly to say, the pressure had been applied by not just believing Jews, but I think also by unbelieving Jews, that you Jewish people, not necessarily you believing people, you Jewish people are, are uh, doing wrong by fellowshipping these sinners of the Gentiles. So Paul is saying to Peter, so Peter, first of all, you are living like a Gentile right now yourself. And oh, by the way, you're enjoying it. Now, because these guys from Jerusalem, from James came, you just, oh, man, backing up. And yet you're not changing your lifestyle. You're expecting, though, that these poor Gentiles live like a Jew and you won't live like a Jew. You know, Peter will say at the <laughs> Jerusalem council, he says, why put ye a yoke on them that, that we nor our forefathers were able to bear? So here it is. Peter has been made to face up that he is a hypocrite. He's the worst sort of hypocrite. And uh, Paul says, okay, now, there's one of two ways that we're made worthy. And in the one way that does make us worthy, there is a pattern. There is something that goes beyond just the pattern. It, it, it uh, <clears throat> not only makes us worthy, but it gives us means to do something in a way that God will find pleasing, not in the sense of saying, okay, you got eternal life, but, but that you will be blessed to enjoy the kingdom of God. So what is it? There's these two things, works of the law or the faith of Jesus Christ. Mm. And as our good friend Elder Mike Ivey said, the faith of Jesus Christ is the faithfulness of Christ to do what the Father sent him to do. That's that's right, but it's more than that as well. Joe has already talked about this. It's more than that as well. So we get to the 17th verse. He's made it clear. It's, it's the faith of Jesus Christ and brethren out there that worry about what are you saying that Jesus Christ had faith? Yes, that's what we're saying. He's faithful. God's faithful. Joe brought up the verse, Romans 3, 3. If that doesn't teach the faithfulness of God, what else would? And the inspired writer and then the King James translators translated it, the faith of God. They didn't use the word faithfulness. They used the word faith of God because the word that was used there was the noun, not the uh, adjective that would be translated as faithful. The same thing goes in Romans 3.22, 3.25. And then later on in the fourth chapter, we'll read about something called the faith of Abraham. By the way, that's not our faith in Abraham. That's the faith of our father, Abraham. Right. That's his faith. Right. In Romans right. 3, 3, it, that faith is God's faith. So why wouldn't we say that in the middle of those two signposts, that the faith of Christ is mentioned right in the middle, is not the faith of Christ, that it's our faith in Christ? It, it, grammatically, it doesn't make sense. And on top of that, in Galatians 2.16 and in Galatians 3.22, You've got the faith of Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. In Galatians 2.16, uh, Paul says, Even we Jews have believed in Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. There is the faith of Christ and our faith. Here's the believer's faith. 
Our faith is affected mightily when we see what Christ did by his faith. Later in the third chapter, Paul will point out the example given in Abraham. Something happened to Abraham on a, on a time when he was really downcast, and God proved to him by showing him a miracle that the promise I've made, that I've already made mm-hmm. to a man who already has manifested faith, obviously who's already a born-again child of God. Here now in Genesis 15, 6, here is Abraham now being fully persuaded. Now, I'm not saying he did everything right after that, but he was fully persuaded. So what, what are we saying? Paul's saying what happens to Abraham is, is happening to you, is happening to you. It will happen to all who come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Not all who uh, are covered by the blood will believe. That's, that's a fact. But only those who are covered by the blood can believe. Right, right. And now, so the faith of Christ for us, it made us worthy. But if we possess within our hearts the very faith of Christ, meaning more than just the body of truth, which is also called the faith, but the actual faith that that is uh, that shares in the experience of what Christ Himself did, as as Joe brought out in Hebrews twelve two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the single greatest example of a life lived by faith is Jesus Christ. He he uh, did not come to uh, satisfy God in any other way than God has always been satisfied and. Paul tells us in Hebrews eleven six the only way that satisfies God. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Jesus Christ had perfect faith. He exhibited perfect faith. And Joe's right. Faith without works is dead. Jesus Christ did not have a dead faith. He had a vibrant, vivacious, vivid kind of faith that when you see it, you know it's Christ. And when you see that same kind of thing in others, you see Christ in them. Mm-hmm. That's our life right there. That's what Paul and Paul will say that in Galatians two twenty. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the yep. Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So mm-hmm. there is. You're not allowed to read ahead, Mike. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, okay. The, you know, that okay. really shook me there for a minute. That's that good. disembodied voice. I, feel like I know the voice speaks. And a voice from, heaven. A voice voice from heaven said. Rise, Peter, slay and eat. Rise, Mike. <laughs> and he said. <clears throat> okay, so I want to bring my little comments to close. When Paul gets to the 17th verse, there's a, there is a supposition that he's laying before Peter, and I think by extension the false teachers. Okay, we Jews, did we not, do we not seek justification from Christ or by Christ? Yes. Yes, we do. Do we Jews see that the death of Christ is effectual for our salvation? Yes, we do. But if you're telling me, Peter, and false teachers, that while we seek to be justified by Christ, that's not good enough? What does that mean? That means Christ is not who we thought he was. That means he's not the minister of righteousness. He's the minister of sin. Uh, So... Paul, again, is saying to Peter and to the false teachers, Peter, you told those Gentiles, boy, what you did, that the, that the death of Christ was not good enough for them, for you. 
Well, I'm here to tell you, and what Paul said, the death of Christ is the only thing that will work. Right. Not only in eternal salvation, but in time salvation. The right. only thing that makes anything worth happening is the death of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul would say. I came to know nothing other than Christ and him crucified. That's all he sought to preach. Why? Because when you preach Christ and him crucified, the spirit would fill your heart and lungs and soul so that you soared on angels' wings. And people who were there were mesmerized. They were awestruck. They were overcome with a sense of the heavenly presence. And it's in that that people's lives are turned upside down, repointed from where they weren't supposed to go to a way that they should go. What makes the world change? It's that singular faith of Christ, which I trust, just like Paul trusted for himself, that I have too, that I don't live. It's not my life anymore. It's Christ that lives in me. I'm sorry, Jerry, getting ahead of himself, but I'm going to go there anyway. <laughs> because he's building to that point. Right. Now, the 18th verse, real quick. He says, for if I build again the things which I... Tore down or destroyed. Let me make sure I got that right. <clears throat> if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Okay, so P Paul is saying, Peter, if you're right, then I'm wrong. I've been tearing down the law ever since the Lord struck me down on the road to Damascus. Right. And now you're telling me that was wrong. I got it all wrong. And you know I got it right because Jesus <laughs> Christ revealed it to me. It's not, I didn't come up with this on my own. I wasn't looking for it. Right. He found me. So if you're telling me that I've been building something or, or I've been tearing down the, the edifice of this law works that we must do in order to have fellowship with one another, now you're telling me, whoa, you were wrong, Paul. You should have. Then I'm a transgressor. I'm the worst sort of transgressor. But I'm here to tell you, Peter, I am dead to the law. I lawfully died to the law. How did I die to the law? Well, the 20th verse is going to tell us. I am crucified with Christ. Now, when you seek something, you're looking for something, right? And when you find something, you no longer need to seek for it. And I think about Romans 4.1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? Abraham found something, didn't he? And I think we find the same thing when we look the same way, when we look in the way that he looked and the way they were supposed to. We find it. And when we find it, what does it do to us? It changes our life. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about being born again. I'm talking about a, right. but something that is so powerful. It is so powerful. It turns your life upside down, inside out, and makes you want to do something that you never thought you'd want to do. That's the argument that Paul's making. In, in, in essence, I think that Paul's making to the Galatians. He's telling them, you'll never have anything like you had when you heard me preach the gospel because I preached the real gospel, the true gospel. You listen to anything else, you'll never have that power that sense of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit. Isn't that what we live for, brethren, in the worship service? Isn't that what we live for, is to worship Indeed. God in spirit and truth and feel His presence among us? I tell you, that still happens today, just like it happened back then. Still happens today. So I don't know if I made any sense. Maybe I made it less sense than it was before, but I'm going to stop because I need something to drink. I'm, my throat's parched a little bit.
Amen. Yeah, I think you made, I think both you and Brother Joe made good sense. And both you and Brother Joe brought up Abraham. And Mike, you even went to the fourth chapter of the book of Romans. Um, You know, the realization of Paul using himself in context of Galatians, well, use himself and Peter and James and the Gentiles and the false. He used all of them in that context to um, further strengthen his point. He made similar arguments in different places throughout yes, his did. writings. And one yes, obviously is in, in Romans chapter four, you know, what, what is our father Abraham found pertaining to the flesh? I think verse two says, for if Abraham have where of the glory, oh, but if Abraham were justified works, but he had where of the glory, not but not before God. before God. The apostle Paul establishes the principle, this very principle that he's teaching into the churches of Galatia. He establishes that same principle in Romans chapter four, using Abraham as the model and then translating the model of Abraham into our own lives. So he, he continues on in that fourth chapter, <clears throat> uh, continually tying back to the faith of Abraham. In fact, I think in the 17th verse, it says, uh, therefore it is of faith that it, it might, might be, be by, grace. by grace to the end. The promise might mm-hmm. be sure to Love all the seed. It's a great verse, and I'm going to just go right over it because I'm heading to a certain point here. I think I know where you're going. Keep so going. he comes down to the end of the chapter, and I think I had it pulled up here. Huh? What? Yeah, 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 yeah. We can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Can okay. you hear me now? Uh, he says in verse 21, it says, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, yep. he was able also to perform being fully persuaded is in regard to Abraham. And then it says, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham received the, the token or the hallmark of his faithfulness in the one that had promised. But then it says it's not just written for him in the very next verse. It is not written for his sake alone that it was imputed, but to us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe Uh, you talk about a conditional statement, that is the blatant, (laughs) obvious conditional statement. You can't argue your way out of it's a conditional. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead. And then he says, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. And then brother Joe quoted five and one, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God, right? Joe, not life, but peace. And then he goes on in the second verse. And I think I quoted this before that we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand, which goes, I mean, I think it starts relating back to the 17th verse of the fourth chapter. So Paul leads the reader through a series of affirmations of what it means to be justified by faith using Abraham as the prime example in this case. And then he translates that to us it, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe, but obviously we can't believe without faith. And then he goes on and says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Tying that back to Galatians, uh, especially where he says, um, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Paul 
uses another argument, a stronger argument with regard to the law in Hebrews chapter 10. I think at the beginning, he says the law for the law being a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things can yeah. never make the comers thereunto perfect or what sacrifices year over year can never make the comers thereunto perfect. Then in verse two, he says, otherwise they just stopped making sacrifice, right? At some point they would have achieved, achieved perfection. But then in verse three, I believe he says, but through the law is the knowledge of sin. And so that's Paul, in, that's in Romans four. Yeah. Is that Romans three, 4? Romans 3. I'm sorry, Romans 3. I thought it was in I thought it was in Hebrews. I no, thought it's no, no. Hebrews Romans 10. Romans 320 319 or 3:20. Ah, you're right. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 3 it says, "But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year." Thank right. you, brother Mike. Appreciate Certainly. that. A remembrance of sins made every uh every year. Yeah. So Paul says, "If I'm if I if I build again the things that I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor." And I'm sorry, Jerry, but I'm going to go a step, one step further than brother Mike. I'm going to go to Galatians <laughs> three and one, but I'm just going to get the first half. I'm going to, I'm going to stop. Go ahead. I'm going to just get the first Ooh, half. Get it, man. Uh, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians. Um, <laughs> uh, well, uh, let me switch you who hath bewitched you that you should not, not obey the truth, obey the truth, the truth. It all, Brother Joe, your level set was so fine-tuned to what the Apostle Paul was saying. This is not about being justified by the work of Christ and and heaven being our home. This is not about Galatians. You foolish Galatians, if you don't get right, you're going to get left. That's not what Paul's saying. Amen. He's saying what I marvel at is that you, you... you, you you just refuse to obey the truth, which is so obvious in the life of the Apostle Paul. And then you go to Romans chapter 7, which I think you may have in your level set, I'm not sure, that he proves it out even more. I think so he went to every book of the Bible in his level so, sets. I know, I right? But so he's he's like, Peter, if if you're building that which has been destroyed, and if I build that which which I destroyed, he he makes an interesting statement. I make myself a transgressor. Yeah. A transgressor. That's Paul, right. Paul's not saying, Peter, if I do this, you made me a transgressor, or James made me a transgressor, or the Lord made me a transgressor. He says, right. if I do this, right. it's on me. Yeah, and that's and right. He, and he and that's why he was he was saying all of this to Peter and and the others and but it was in the presence of the Galatians because he's saying you are trying to build something. And when you do, you're making yourself a transgressor. Why would you want to do that when God through his son has given us the faith of Christ that we might have faith in Christ and that we would obey the truth and find ourselves, as he says back in Romans chapter five, to be at peace with God and to be at peace with God, brothers and sisters, it means being at peace with yourself. And the only way that you can do that is the realization of our faith in him and what that has done for us. That's why Paul says, I marvel who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth. Oh my goodness. God help us. God help us to never be bewitched and to always experience they had and then to turn their back on it. Yeah. It's just, it's just, yeah. 
Okay, I, I'm going to stop. Was, I know he has. He would have something to say. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> your turn. You know, it's it, it's really a little bit strange um, not being on video, um, especially in light of all of the wonderful thoughts that the three of you have put forth. I, I find myself just sitting here taking it all in and and rejoicing at the truth of it. Um, it's it's strange just not not being connected from just the the video piece how much better is it when we're actually together right. and uh you, I mean, you feel a part um of the discussion and, and i do as well because of all the, the things that we have talked about um you know the things that brother joe you set forth in in your level set and mike the things that, that you elaborated on from from that and then your comments uh, brother mark and i i didn't dare try to speak up after mike said abraham three times <laughs> I mean, I, don't blame me blame been, me yeah that would have no i didn't blame anybody i just let's just you know call it what it is <laughs> mark was going for it you know there is there's one thing that I would like to, it, nothing that you guys have said needs any additional um, <laughs> propping up or anything. I would like to offer, offer this thought, or at least this line of thinking. Um, it's very, very important that we, as we've already said, every session I think that we've been on, that we hold tight to the context of, of this letter, that we really try to understand uh, the direction that Paul is, is going, the things, the case that he is building block upon block upon block. Uh, and he's been very faithful to do that. I think the Lord has blessed us to really honor that in, in our discussion. In keeping with that thought, back in verse 15, Paul, Paul is obviously addressing Peter primarily but not exclusively. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. right. there's some discussion as to how long Paul is focused, his focusing, focusing his remarks toward Peter. I don't know how important that is necessarily. I have a thought on it and I'm going to share it, Good. but let's not forget. Yes. He's addressing Peter. And I think that comes with real value. Um, and, and I'll, I'll mention that I trust in a second, but also he's addressing those that came uh, you know, from James and from Jerusalem, uh, addressing the Gentiles uh, in, in these churches, and, you know, and perhaps even those that were uh, endeavoring to overthrow uh, the faith of, of the Gentiles. Um, so Paul's getting them all in one fell swoop, and he's really drilling down to make his case airtight, which the Lord blesses him to do on, on many, many occasions. So in verse 15, I think he's addressing Peter. He says, we are Jews by nature. That's a true statement. And not sinners of the Gentiles. Right. It's an interesting contrast, and we dealt with it before. So when, when, P, oh, when Paul then moves to, um, to verse 17, and he used similar language, uh, we are also found sinners. I, I think that's a really important point. Because Peter, a Jew, a natural Jew, Brother Mike, you made this point clear, was behaving as a Gentile because he came to know and to understand um, that there is no difference <laughs> between Jew yeah. and Gentile right. as it relates to the, the faith of Christ and the effects of that faith of Christ. It also makes no distinction as it pertains to trying to 
uh, bring justification forward by the keeping of the law. It's mm-hmm. not doable for right. a Jew, and it's not doable for a Gentile. Right. Mm-hmm. There is no difference. So Paul sets this, the hook, so to speak, in verse 15. We talked through verse 16, but I, here's a point I want to make. Verse 15, he says, we. I think he's certainly talking about him and Peter. Others as well, but him and Peter. He says we again twice in the 16th verse. I think he's carrying the thought forward. In verse 17, he says, but if while we seek, Peter, you and I, if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves, uh, we ourselves are found sinners, being justified by Christ uh, magnifies, proclaims without question that justification can only come through the faith of Christ. Right. not through the keeping of the law. Right. What it does is it shines a light on, on sin. Um, the law shines a light on sin. It sure does. And so all of a sudden now, and, and this was Peter's experience, and, and it was Paul's experience. Paul was taught many things by Christ uh, through Revelation, as is recorded in chapter 1. Well, again, Brother Mike, you, you nailed it in regards to Peter's experience with Cornelius. Peter also was taught these things through revelation. And it's, it's important to, to understand how, how I think Paul is really using the, uh, the situation with Peter to, uh, to elevate his, his case um, relative to the faith of Christ and relative to the function of the law, what it, what it is not, and that is to not bring, um, bring about justification. Let's don't forget that all these people, well, the, the Jews certainly, and then Peter himself, when, they, when Paul and Barnabas went up to uh, Jerusalem, they observed the liberty that they had. They observed the spirit in their preaching. <clears throat> and you know what it is that they preached. They preached verse 16 <laughs> mm-hmm. when, when they were there, right? And so... I can almost see, and I'm not, I'm probably not saying this like I really want to, but you can almost see how Paul is just wrenching down and, and taking all the air out of, of argument to the case that, that he's making. Personally, and I think it was discussed a couple sessions ago, I think Peter knew pretty quickly how bad he blew it. Um, <laughs> I'm not so sure that, you know, that Peter needed Paul to go all the way through the 19th verse, if that's how far he went, to, to bring the, the point home to Peter. I think Peter was, you know, pretty well convicted of the matter. But now Paul is utilizing, I think, the, the position of Peter with the Jews. He, had, he was highly respected. And he had, a, he had a position where that's concerned, certainly in Jerusalem and all. And, and so I think Paul is using everything at his avail yeah. to, to drive this point yeah, beyond yeah. home, if, yeah, if yeah. you will. Yeah, you nailed it. So one of the things that I think in verse 17 is, as Paul makes the point, in seeking justification by Christ, which they know is the only means for justification— it shines a light. The, the law, the function of the law, which could never bring justification, what it is doing is shining a light on the fact that me, a natural Jew, 
I'm just in the same exact boat relative to the law bringing justification yeah. as these Gentiles are. Yeah. There is no difference. Well, I, those Jews probably didn't like hearing that at all, right? They had to place themselves on equal ground yes. with the Gentile sinner because the law could not bring That's right. justification. So perhaps it would raise the question then, well, if breaking the law was sin, is it not sin abandoning the law hmm. relative to to the justification that we're hopeful that it brings about? And if that is true, then is Christ not a, a co-conspirator <laughs> to sin? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right? the logic, I think. Yeah. That's the logic. And, and Paul just very simply responded with two of the most profound words possible in Scripture. God forbid. God forbid. Um, so, and then lastly, let me just say this. Uh, I think Paul is now shifting, heading toward the, the 19th, 20th, and 21st verse. And just in my mind, anyway, guys, you, you may agree or disagree. Because Paul does use the, the term I in, in verse 18, for if I build again, I think he's, he's stepping in the, the shoes of Peter. He's assuming the posture of exactly what Peter did, because that's what he did. Peter made himself a transgressor of that which he had embraced, that which he believed, that which he was teaching um, in word and by example. And when he got up from that table at seeing these Jews from Jerusalem coming his way, he made himself a transgressor of those things which he, which he was holding to. And, and Paul is making the statement hypothetically that if I do this, then I'm making myself a transgressor. Peter, that's exactly what you did, was making yeah. yourself a transgressor, right? right? Yeah. And, and then Paul moves on, on from there. So those, I mean, just a, a few thoughts relative to how the flow of this and the connect points that Absolutely. that I think Paul is really bringing out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Jerry. I think you nailed it. Yes, sir. I, I mean, uh, the, you were you were extracting thoughts from my little pea brain, and and, that's and forming, <clears throat> and that is saying something, brother Mike. Informing those that, yeah, he was he. And I can't think of another way to say this. Maybe one of you three can, but. I believe he was using Peter, his status, and the fact that he was a Jew, and bringing out what Peter did wrong so that the Gentiles would say, wow, he's a Jew, and Paul really got on to him. We're Gentiles, and we're fall we've fallen in the same trap with Peter. He's no better than us. We're no better than him. And we're all in this together. That's what I think. Good, good point. Good, good point. Amen. Good Amen. Well, Joe. You uh, absolutely. To, Joe, something is bound to be coming out of you any, any minute now. Any second. <clears throat> I'm sorry? So something is bound to come from you, Joe. You're about to – you have to speak. <laughs> well, I, I actually – Jerry pulled the trigger. <laughs> And yeah. Thank you, Jerry. Those rich, rich thoughts. Some time ago, I don't remember if it was on the public blog or in our discussion, you made a, a rich, rich point that after Paul 
probably wrote Galatians very early in his writing history, followed by Romans and other letters, he covers many of the same points in those other letters. Right. Mm -hmm. And I want to just underscore in the language of Paul, one of those powerful points you made, Jerry, in Romans 3, after dealing with the benefit that the, gen, that the Jews had and dealing with some reasoning about faith that usually gets ignored and, and classified as doublespeak, in verse 9, Paul says, what then? Are we Jews better than they Gentiles? No, in no wise. I love this part of the verse. For we have before proved, yeah, proved both Amen. Jews Amen. and Gentiles that they are all yeah, under sin. Yeah, that's chapter it. one proves the Gentiles were under sin. Chapter two proves the Jews were. Yeah. Yes, that's the before. <laughs> he goes. He no. goes through a litany of man without God and and the awful, sinful, depraved state. Then he picks up the point again on the positive side in verse 23. For all have sinned. All who? All Jews, mm. all Gentiles. Right, right. And come short of the glory of God. So where's any hope in all of this? Verse 24. Being mm. justified freely, freely. Not by our faith. Freely. Right. Yep. The word freely in this verse is translated by the same word Jesus used in his discourse before arrest, John 14, 15, and 16, that it may be fulfilled, they hated me without a cause. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you and I are justified without any cause in what we did, our conduct doesn't cause our eternal justification. Amen. Jesus Amen. did it all. Amen. Being justified freely without a cause in what we did by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's the hope. There's the focal point of faith. And there's the message of the gospel and the freedom we have in Christ. Thank you, Jerry, and thank you, Mike. <laughs> hey, let, let me just and say... That's a mic drop right there. I know, I know right? I, I, I don't have any better sense. I have no better sense than to say this. <laughs> we, we uh, in studying Galatians, we've come to understand, and we've already said this, the death of Christ accomplished more than just eternal salvation. Yes. yes. It broke down the middle wall of petition between right. Jew and Gentile. So... I think Paul has a little bit of this in the way he argues. If you deny the one, you also deny the other because both are predicated upon the death of Christ. So if you're saying Gentiles are unworthy, you're saying Christ's death was insufficient. Mm -hmm. Amen. If you're saying to be saved to heaven, we've got to do works, you're saying Christ's death was ins insufficient. You see, That's right. one's in eternity, one's in time, but they both end up denying the, the single cause, which is the death of Christ. Right. Amen. One other thing, then we'll move on. Did you know, I, I didn't bring this out. I didn't, I forgot it. 
maybe you guys have seen this too, but at the end of the 16th verse, Paul quotes from Psalms 143.2. And it's very similar, Mark, to what he says in Romans 3.20. Is it 3.20 or 3.19? I forget. Uh, it's one of those verses. <clears throat> uh, so, By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be yeah. justified. Yeah, right. Uh, <clears throat> here's the thing. You go back to Psalms 143.2, and this is the thing for us as we study the Apostle Paul. I think Joe, Jerry, Mark, you're very well aware of this, but maybe some of you out there aren't, that when Paul quotes a single verse, he oftentimes expects you to, to know the other verses that surround that one mm -hmm. verse <laughs> to get a sense of the real meaning that he is intending to impart by using, by citing that verse. So look at 143, Psalms 143, and let's look at the first verse. Yeah. A Psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Pay, pay attention now. Right. In thy faithfulness, yes. answer me. And in thy righteousness. Why, David? Because before and enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. Yep. <laughs> you see the power of that single little quote? We just, I passed by it so much. But when you yeah. see the resonating verses that surround it, the allusions to these verses that he didn't choose to quote, but he meant for his readers to get because they he gave them a memory trigger. Yes. Yep. He doesn't talk about our faithfulness. He talks about thy faithfulness. Yep. He didn't talk about our righteousness. He talks about thy righteousness. Right. And he right. says, he says what is so plainly obvious to us, enter not into judgment with thy servant. Why David? Because I know what I deserve. I know what mm -hmm. anybody deserves. And I think if you just mm -hmm. read that catalog of sin in the third chapter of Romans after the 10th verse, you would say, Lord, please don't enter into judgment yes. with me. Mm -hmm. For in thy sight shall no man living be justified. Now, Paul took a little liberty with it, and he had that right as an inspired writer and as an apostle by saying that by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified where? In the sight of God. Yes. In the sight of God. In the sight of God. So what is it that is our only hope? Bro Brother Joe read, oh, I, thank you for reading Romans 3.24. What a powerful point that is. Our only hope is his righteousness, his faithfulness. And the Son of God came in to keep his faithful promise to his Father. His Father promised faithfully to do something. The Holy Ghost faithfully promised to do something. The son said, I faithfully promise to do what I will do. And he did. And it's that kind of faith that pleases God. And it's that kind of faith that I trust each and every one of us exemplify or manifest in our mm -hmm. life of him who exemplified perfect faith. What a what a lesson that is, brethren. Ooh. Yep. That gives wonderful me chills. Yep. What a wonderful, wonderful lesson. I don't know what to say except we're at the end of the hour. We are. <laughs> Why? 
Why? Because time moves on. So, <laughs> Brother Jerry, a voice, a voice from heaven spake in me, say. <laughs> Give us some closing oh, thoughts. My oh, I just got to, I, I got to settle the chills running up and down my spine right now. Um, what a, what a message of hope, of assurance, um, a little bit, I feel, I think I might even feel a little bit like Abraham might have felt that it was imputed, this assurance, this, this wonderful um, strength that we have uh, through and by the faith of Christ. Um, man, it's amazing. But, you know, a closing comment that I would have is it's kind of connected to verse 19. Interesting language for I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I think what Paul's saying is I'm dead to the law for a remedy for my sins. <laughs> um, it's not there. Um, I don't think Paul was looking to be lawless or a law unto himself necessarily. Um, he was identifying or making the statement, the law identifies me as, as a sinner. Right. And, and it looks to punish me for it. But we got something so much better than that. Um, I just close my comments uh, from afar, just floating around out with no video. Uh, I, you, I'm sure you've all read uh, either original or versions of uh, a little poem from John Bunyan. And I think it fits. It says, run, John, run, the law commands. But it gives neither feet nor hands. Far better news. The gospel of Christ brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Hey, that's great. Oh, we are so blessed. Let us not be bewitched. Yeah. That's all I got. God be merciful. Amen. Marcus Danielius Rowless. What what's left to say? I mean, this was this this has been fantastic. The, uh, I mean, this is a rare occasion. I'm virtually speechless by what's gone before. Um, you know, the only thing that came into my mind uh, there towards the end was some other words by the Apostle Paul <clears throat> again in the book of Hebrews, I think in the sixth chapter. He says, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany mm. salvation. And while he is spending this critical time in the first chapter, second chapter, and then leading into the third and really pointing these things out, it's for a purpose. It's that. So he would arrive at a point of the expectation of better things from the churches of Galatia. And that realization of the faith that Christ has put in us that enables us to be blessed to see that Christ fulfilled the law and that our belief and our faith in him exudes the imputation that he gives to us in our walk of faith and in our walk of belief. And if he gives us strength, then 
we're definitely persuaded better things and things that accompany salvation. Uh, amen. To the three of you, I say amen in what you've said. We say amen to you. Amen. <laughs> That's right. Amen. I did say virtually speechless. So <laughs> virtually. <laughs> well, brother Joe, we are we are on tender hooks right now. Um my closing thoughts are very personal. I'm I have been for the last few minutes of our discussion thinking very especially about a little church I serve in a suburb of Los Angeles, California. <clears throat> in that church, there are loving, pardon me, <clears throat> loving, gracious, godly people, some white, some black. We have a man who came from India and abandoned the Hindu faith and became a member of our church. And we have a, a very gracious Asian lady who is learning and showing growing attachment and love and embracing our faith. And I have been blessed in recent sermons repeatedly to emphasize none of this matters. Right. The mm -hmm. ground at the foot of the cross, the ground in the faith of Jesus Christ is level ground. Amen. There is no difference. We're one in Christ. Amen. And I am thrilled to look out at that congregation, and I'm looking at the reality of what Paul taught the Galatians. Thank the Lord for the blessing. Amen. 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 Now, I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> Never. I don't believe it. Yeah. Virtually or not. Yeah. Virtually or or, uh, or, or otherwise. <laughs> or literally. Well, it's been a great study, brothers. I yes. really. Uh, oh, my goodness. Sure I know we, we tend to think every session, but, uh, you know, I, I wasn't, I'm not going to say that last week was uh, uh, not as good as I was hoping it would be. I'm talking about my input on that. You guys saved the, the broadcast last week, if anything. <clears throat> but I'll tell you what, this week, I think the Lord really filled our wings, our sails, whatever you want to call it, with the Spirit of God. And, and again, we left so much meat on the bones. The, the, it's impossible for us to say what little bit we even know. I know. Forget mm. what else there mm. is actually yeah. to know that we don't know. Yeah. And I wish That's we right. knew better than what, knew more than what we do know. Our single greatest hope and prayer is that what we say does not darken anyone's counsel, yes. that it right. doesn't mislead anybody. If anything, we hope that it provides a little bit of help, a little bit of light, as you endeavor to study this great epistle called Galatians. It's worth every bit of time you put into it. And the more you study it, the more you get out of it, the more you realize there are layers of the onion to peel back that will you just keep going and going. And every mm. layer reveals something even more wonderful than the layer before it. Right. It's the Word of God. Yeah. So 
in what we have studied tonight <clears throat> is I hope maybe just to say this <clears throat> before we close, there's only the death of Christ, which is another way of saying the faith of Christ, which is another way of saying the death of Christ is the only thing that makes us worthy. It's it level. It levels the ground as brother Joe so wonderfully said, there's n neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female, old or young, bond or free. All are one in Christ. What a savior we have. What a powerful mm. event. The cross was and the gospel that preaches that that's the power of God, right? That's what is what Amen. will change people's life. Not some gospel that says you Christ did only so much, but you've got to add to it by working these works of the law. That's what those teachers in Galatia were saying. That's what Paul says. That is not a gospel. Mm. That is a perversion of the gospel. And he says, let people who preach things like that be accursed. Why do you feel so personally about this, Paul? It's because the most powerful thing this side of the second coming and next to the death and resurrection of Christ is the power of the gospel of right. Jesus Christ. Yep. Mm. It turned the world upside down. It still does it. And may we never add to it nor take anything away from Amen. it. Amen. So we close with that in hopes that you, dear people, our beloved friends and viewers or faithful viewers, will pray for us. We'll see you next Tuesday. God bless you all. Let's have a closing word of prayer. And who was it that prayed first today? May you get uh, Brother Jerry. Oh, Brother Jerry. The voice from above will pray now. Y'all <laughs> uh, bow with me. Merciful Heavenly Father, Lord, how do we thank Thee um, as, as we would like? for the manifestation of thy love and thy mercy around about us for the truth of thy word, Lord. We thank thee, Lord, for the presence of thy spirit, even in this little study here um, in the last hour, Lord, that you would bless us to, to dig and to look into thy word, that we might glean from it blessings that we can apply to our very lives, that we would be found walking worthy of, of thy love and thy mercy. Lord, I'm so thankful that thou hast blessed me to live my life with men like these three men um, on this recording, Lord, that have a single desire to look into thy word and glean the truth, uh, as, as it says in Christ Jesus, in order that they would be found feeding thy sheep and edifying the, the flock of God. Lord, may we all have that single desire, those that are called upon to rightly divide the word of truth, Lord, and apply it to not only our lives, but teach it and preach it to awaiting congregations. Lord, bless those that might hear um, and listen to this recording in regards to this lesson. Lord, bless bless them that you would bless, uh, as you blessed us with understanding and that they would take these things and apply it to their very life. Father, forgive us of our mm. our weak manner in coming before Thee. Father, forgive us of the sins that we commit. We confess that they are many, Lord, and we just pray You would continue to look down upon us in love and in mercy and be the, be the light to our path. I go with us now as we dismiss from this little uh, gathering here, Lord, being thankful for Thy felt presence 
And may we take these things that we have gleaned from this lesson thus far and put them into practice in our very lives mm. and be an example to those that might see us. These many favors and blessings we ask in the name of our returning Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you, dear friend and brother. And to the peanut gallery, thank you. Let's say goodbye to our wonderful viewers. We'll see you next Tuesday, God willing. Bye, everybody. I'm wait. I'm waving. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs>